0: Welcome to another UCTV.tv podcast presented by University of California Television.
1: This letter that you got in front of you dated back in the 40s and the early 50s. You ought to be very proud of what your grandma who fought here to get us ahead. From this chapter here, it grew to 40 chapters throughout the state in Arizona. Well, a lot of the leadership in California. Came out of CSO. The empowerment that they got, they learned to fight for things, uh, the shield of fear has gone. They're not afraid to go and speak for the community. Uh, gave them tremendous empowerment.
2: the 11,000 registered road.
3: I know what it says, but CSO's not wrong in both of them. I'm telling you. It works. You could be wrong too, Louie. Yeah. I'm right for half. I'm lucky. <laughs> the beginnings of CSO started the birth of feeling that, you know, I need to do something here because the problems are out there and they need to be worked on.
4: What well, has to happen at the house meetings, the building of yes. one-on-one trust relationships, right of planning an action, evaluating the action. I remember Fred he used the word critique. That was something so magical to me. what, what is critique? Well it was because <laughs> we have a meeting, then we would get together and we would critique a meeting. You know, what did we do? What should we have done? Why didn't so and so follow oh, wow. up? And the learning really took place from that little gathering, you know, after the meeting we would
5: But here we're old man, you remember? We were all young back in those days. Oh, man, I'm not old, so I remember things. You guys, you got old. Padilla was a Junior Chamber of Commerce, right? He was JV, right? And walking around like I own the city and all of this. And we're Chicano, he didn't act Chicano, so he didn't. I don't know how, I can, in reality, I, don't, I hope you're not reporting this. I don't know how I got involved man, with this guy. <laughs>
6: Look, at, he's, he's getting lax, because if he was real CSO, he would have said, okay, we need you to do this. When can you do it?
1: <laughs> I want to welcome all of you to this gathering, historic gathering. This has been a historic gathering, and this has been uh, something that uh, we've been working for for the last couple of years. A couple of years ago, Herman Gallegos talked to me about CSO in the history of CSO, he says, "You know, read all these books that Chicanos write, but nothing has been written about the civil rights of Chicanos on the, from the 40s to the 60s." And he said, uh, "Maybe we ought to write a book." And then later on, he says, "It's kind of hard to write a book." We yes. have a conference, talk to people about this, that maybe perhaps people in the audience will understand the struggle. We went in the 40s and in the 50s. You see on the walls here and here. So this is what this country is about. I want to show you a little clip which uh, make you, you understand what really was happening in the 40s in my, in, my, in my time when I went to segregated schools. And his name is Hector Tarango. We went and I interviewed Hector. And he... Such an emotional time with, with Hector. This is the first time in my life that I've seen Herman tear a little eye. start dripping down his eyes. He got, he got emotional. I told Hector Tarango, does anybody ever name a school after you? Or he says, no, nobody's ever cared. Watch this
7: clip. In El Modena, they had two schools side by side. One for the Mexican children, one for the Anglo children, side by side with just a wire fence between them. That shook me up tremendously because our fighting men were coming home from the war and their kids are being segregated. So we all got together, Cruz Barrios, Isidoro Gonzalez, Manuel Vega and I, and formed the Orange County Borders League. And we started going to the meetings at the Board of Education and we'd stand up whenever we had a chance and questioned them about what they were doing. And they decided to join a national organization, LULAC, so we would have more power to fight the system. We tried to get a representative of our organization to be elected at the Board of Education in El Medina, and he lost the election. Fred Ross heard about our fighting the school system, so he came down to help us to recruit voters The organization of Voters League didn't want to deputize any of our members to be registered, going out house to house. He said, no, they can come down here and register. So we told them, no, that won't work because they haven't been down here before. What would make you think they'd come now? Fred Ross told them about a law that they couldn't refuse us. Then we canvassed the whole areas. All Orange County started getting canvassed by us. By that time, we had about 15,000 registered voters. So we ran him again, and he voted. He got elected. When we beat the board in El Medina, the Farm Bureau filed a complaint with the district attorney that we were being involved with communism. So the district attorney summoned us to meet with him. I said, so far, all we've done is recruit voters. I said, is that illegal? Is that anti-American? Is that communist? And he said, oh, no, not, not recruiting voters. So well, we're fighting the school system for a better relationship in the school for our group children. Is that communism? The district attorney said, oh, no, no, that's fine. What are we doing here then? I said, he asked the Farm Bureau the same question. I said, well, if you don't have anything else, you're wasting our time. We're busy. Ben was very active in the Catholic Church. His padre asked him to come over and talk to him because they had a complaint that he was involved with the communists. Everybody got scared. From then on, Fred Ross was not backed up at all by our organization, but that did stop me from going ahead with it. Fred Ross said, we can find him in court now that we have the strength. And we filed the papers with the Board of Education in Orange County, and that started the whole case, Mendez versus Westminster. We lost the first shot, and so we appealed it to the District Appeal Court. The Appeal Court a year later ruled in our favor that no more segregation. That was 1947. Herbert Marshall came down, and congratulated us and the brief that they filed later referred to our case as a president that was set against discrimination in the schools. So we were the pioneers of that case, of, of anti-discrimination.
1: The Mendez family had gotten school's name after the Mendez, stamps, nothing about Hector Tarango. And Hector Tarango was the one that organized it. when. The, when the DA came in, according to Fred, everybody ran. The bishop came down on the Catholics. They ran. The others ran. Hector Tarango stayed. The only one that stayed.
8: Word had reached uh, Saul Alensky about this jerk out there in California that was sent out to study the Mexican American situation. And I was lined up trying to organize it his ears began to flap right away because he was looking for an organizer to go to Butte, Montana and fight on Anaconda Copper. I told him that I didn't want to go to Butte, Montana because how much more significant would it be to be able to do somewhat the same thing in the largest concentration of Mexican-Americans in the Western Hemisphere outside of Mexico City? He finally said, I have heard of an organizer might uh, fall in love with somebody in the neighborhood. But this is the first time that I've ever known that some organizer has fallen in love with a whole ethnic group. He asked me how I plan to organize and build power. He said, hey, what are you going to do? Uh, get together all the Mexican organizations and the church and so forth. Get them all together and set up a, an organization of organizations like I did back in the yard's neighborhood council. And I said, well, No. Because it would be more or less like the tail wagging the dog. The organizations in the east side are absolutely without power. You know, the, the church isn't going to want to have anything to do with it, more or less because it's on the same basis as these other powerless groups. So what are you going to do? And I said, well, put on an extensive, intensive, membership drive on a one-to-one basis the cream of that crop can then become deputy registrars of voters and go from door to door all throughout the east side building the power, the the voting power of the spanish-speaking people
9: This is a wonderful gathering, I must say. I've seen so many uh, old friends that I haven't seen in a little while and I've I've met many new ones. My uh, wife Elaine has the opportunity to be around many uh, CSOers now for the, for the first time. Uh, so it's just a great pleasure for me to be here. Not only that, it's a great pleasure to be here because the CSO, I've been, I've belonged to many organizations, but the CSO is the best organization that I ever, that I ever belonged to. Uh, it was, it was best because it was a grassroots organization an organization that dealt with the problems of, of the people at hand. Uh, it, I belonged to the, to the El Centro CSO organization. I joined in the late 50s when it was first forming, and a gentleman told me about the formation of the CSO chapter in El Centro in Imperial County. Uh, I had just gone to Imper- moved to Imperial County, and I, I then joined uh, the local CSO. Uh, soon, uh, I, I was teaching uh, classes on... Uh, citizenship so folk could become citizens. My wife was teaching English classes because at that time you needed to know English to become citizens. Uh, the, uh, the CSO met once a month. They were concerned about uh, about lo- local activities. And I just want to mention uh, t- two of those activities to you. Uh, you you've heard a lot about uh, voter registration and our efforts in that regard. The other day uh, I was going through old papers and I ran into a letter that I wrote uh, to Dolores Huerta uh, in 1960. Apparently, I had forgotten, apparently I was the organizer for Imperial County for voter registration. And I was writing to Dolores, who was then in San Jose, about our progress in, 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 in that regard. Uh, but I want to tell you this story. Um, uh, there was a gentleman named Hector Burgos who was related to the CSO and uh, to folk who wanted to register Latinos. And he was trying to get the local registrar, one Harry Free, to deputize more Latinos to go out and register from, from house to house. And Harry Free would not deputize any, any, more, any more Latinos. So he, he, he put up signs. He picketed at the courthouse where Harry Free's office was. He put up signs, nothing. Harry Free wouldn't change his mind. He, then he took his car and, pay, and painted lemons on it. And put signs on and said, "Harry Freeze, a lemon. He won't give us any more, any more uh, deputy registrars." Harry Freeze still didn't do anything. So he came to see me. Says Cruz. He says, "Well, I know. I've been trying to get Harry Freeze to deputize more Latinos to go out and register, and he just won't do it." And I said, "Well, I don't know." I said, "But we do have a new law, and it was mentioned earlier: the Fair Employment Practices Commission." And that applies to government employees. And and registrars get paid 10 cents a dime. I don't know what it is now, but that was true then. Get paid 10 cents a dime for every new registrant that they, they, they register. So maybe they're considered uh, public employees. So if you like, we can, we can file a complaint with the FEPC. And he said, let's do it, he says. I've got nothing to lose. So I typed up a, a, a complaint for him. Um, it was uh, proper, as we lawyers say. He signed it himself. He sent it off to Sacramento. A few weeks later, one of the investigators come by, came to Imperial County, and he shows up in my, op- in my home. And he says, Kruse, he says, would you by chance know anything about this complaint? I said, S- I said funny you'd ask. <laughs> so I told him what the background was, and then he went to see Harry Free. Uh, and sh- and at that time, the FOPC would not send the complaint ahead of time. They would show it to the person charged and say, you know, we've got this. Uh, what do you have to say about it? Uh, Harry Free looked at it. And he says, how dare Hector uh, uh, accuse me of, of, of ethnic discrimination. To prove that I don't discriminate, I'm going to deputize anybody Hector wants me to deputize. So, so, so Hector won his case. the 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 the, the, the investigator then came back to my house to tell me to tell me what what had happened. And I still remember it because on that day we were bringing my wife home from the hospital with our first baby. So you can see that was some time ago, uh, and uh, we had balloons all over the place. So he came in and we welcomed them to, to join our our family party. And, and he said, Well he says I went to see Harry Free and that's what he told me. He says I'll register and anybody that Hector me. But he, before he said that, after he read after he read the complaint he says, I know who's behind this, he says, It's a gentleman rabble rouser, Cruz Rainoso. <laughs> so I always try to treat people fairly and and and, and courtesy, with courtesy, so apparently he considered me a gentleman, but I was a rabble-rouser because I was helping Hector get more, more Latinos uh, deputized so they could register. Uh, and indeed, now, what I should tell you, though, is that I don't think Harry Free did that just for Hector or just because of that judgment rabble-rouser. The reality is that, that Harry Reed had appeared before the CSO chapter, in that central, and in Brawley, I knew, and he was asking for people's votes. So I think he, he, he was concerned that he wouldn't get those votes if, if he didn't uh, uh, agree with Hector to deputize anybody he, he wanted and being accused of discriminating on, on the basis of ethnicity. So, so, so these things work in many magical ways, but Hector got his registrars, registered hundreds of people with those registrars, and, and added a little bit more power to democracy with a small d, to have government really respond to how the people want that government to respond to. The second story I'll tell you is, has a, a good and bad part to it. Like many Basios, the, the east side of El Centro, where the Latinos and Blacks lived, mostly Latinos but a large percentage of Blacks, was literally across the, across the railroad tracks. You always hear about, about a community being across the railroad tracks, that was literally across the railroad tracks. The railroad tracks uh, divided the Anglo community where a few Latinos lived uh, and, and, and the east side where uh, it was nothing but... Uh, Latinos and Blacks uh, lived. The CSO was composed principally of, uh, of Latinos, but not exclusively. Indeed, one of, one of the great things of the CSO is that it developed local leadership. I still remember one of the grand gentlemen from the Brawley CSO, Mr. M.C.L. Drees. I don't know if I remember that name with all those initials, but I, but I do. And a fellow who was an African-American by Ed, Ed Fielder. Was the, was the president of the El Centro chapter for many years. So, so the CSO worried about the community as a whole, not just about Latinos uh, or, 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 or Chicanos. And, and there was a complaint, as you might guess, in the, in the east side of El Centro, that it didn't have sidewalks, it didn't have gutters. Even in the desert, when it rains, it gets muddy. Uh, and, and so the Pope complained that the city was not putting the resources into the east El Centro, east El Centro that, that it was uh, to the rest of the city. Uh, and so they asked me to talk to, to the uh, city fathers and mothers, and I did go. I did go. I went and talked to the to the city manager, and he seemed rather excited to, to have me tell him of the interest that that the community had. Uh, and then he talked to, to to the city officials, the city council, and they were excited. And in fact, there 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 was a statute there, and I trust it still is, that group that a community can tax itself. To improve that community, I went back and reported to the CSO. And even though practically everybody in in the East Side was was poor, they they, they voted unanimously to vote to to uh, uh, to tax themselves to improve the community. That that was at least the CSO chapter voted in, in in that in that fashion. I went back and reported uh, to the City Fathers and Mothers, and then they put a program together. And interestingly, the city fathers and mothers were excited about hearing of the interest of of the folk in the east side, and so the city fathers and mothers decided that the city would pay for all of the engineering and legal costs, as well as 50% of the actual cost. And and I, I remember thinking to myself, that here was a situation in which there was a lack of communication. I, I have no doubt that just as the folk in, 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 in the east side was a saying, ah, those dirty Anglos, you know, they don't care about what happens to the Vajra and so on, Sad to say, I, I have a sense that some of the Anglo folk were saying, "Gee, look at those Mexicans and those blacks; they don't care about the, their own community." And somehow, in fact, when when those interests got together, the city responded very enthusiastically. Uh, the 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 folk in uh, the east side of El Centro got their sidewalks and curbs and so on. Whenever I go back to El Centro, I like to drive around and say, "You know, we had something to do with with with, the, with these improvements." So. Uh, so I always felt that a commu- a, an organization needs wide representation. The CSO was made principally, was composed principally of working people. And I was always interested, there was, there was real leadership in East South Central, for example. There were gentlemen and, and women that we all respected, but somehow they never appeared in any newspaper article or anything of that, of that sort. Uh, and yet the leadership existed. But it, but it wasn't just the leadership. As you know, the organization effort of the CSO was to have what was called house meetings. That is, don't go just to the people who, when politicians come and say, we want to talk to your leader. I, I remember a, a um, lawyer, later Judge Luis Garcia in San Francisco, was very active and, and known by many officials. And they would come to San Francisco he would tell me, they'd say, we want to talk to the leader of the Latino community here. And, and he was say, say to them, all right, we'll talk to whoever is the leader of the Anglo community. Well, of course, there's never an Anglo co- 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 leader. Uh, there are many leaders of, of, of science, of politics, and so on. But some, somehow so many folk thought there was a leader in El Central, a leader in, in, in Brawley. In CSO has always been one of those great organizations that work from the bottom up. My dream is that someday, in fact, we'll be able to to have another organization like the CSO that really builds citizenship from the ground up. Thank you very much.
10: We did it
11: on our own. We had a little room here in, in in a little office that we used to do like the. Yeah, we had a big, huge hallway type of thing. That's where we do the classes at night. That's where our CSO uh, uh, service office was at. And that's where every people came to in case there was problems. CSO was there, and we, uh, yeah. Where I, was, where I was at, my office was always the CSO office. I don't know. People knew that I was CSO there, and they'd they come to me. Then I would take them out, over to the meetings, and then we'd disperse the people to try to solve some of the
0: problems then I think we on Stockton we always hang together because we had the we had the CSO philosophy and it was not there wasn't a um, in fact we try to do what we could for farm workers it was not like well we better debate it I mean or should let somebody else do it it's, this is not our job and I, I don't remember ever other than the fact A lot of times we would dis- we decide what we want to do but a lot of times we would discuss the strategies Let's do this and let's do that. And somebody's, no, no, let's. And you would, and eventually, well, then you'd take a vote and that's what you would do. And oh, who was going to be the chairman? Who was going to be the committee? And who was going to write the letter? But we, CSO, we were always, we always had the CSO philosophy. And I don't remember where everybody was saying, no, no, this is not what we're going to do. And th- the projects that we took on, like the credit union, people was a welcome, you know, to see that and the thing that we were doing for the. Uh, on the redevelopment, to trying to help the people, and the and the mid rates, all of these were things that people wanted us to do, and and, uh, and we would work on them, and, and some of those, you know, we put we would stop some of those things, and others we would put dents in things and modify them. But one thing we never had, we never fell out fell out with uh, from a philosophical standpoint in Stockton that I recall.
12: I believe that when you do organizing, what you leave behind in terms of not only accomplishments, but in terms of the leadership, because this is what the CSO did, is it went down to the bottom and it brought up people, you know, this, and this leadership emerged. So, when, I mean, when you have such stellar, uh, you st- such stellar graduates as Eduardo Roival, uh, Cruz Reynoso, uh, Cesar Chavez, Herman Gallegos, you know, and, and you go down the line and you see all these people that came out of this organization, it's quite stunning uh, that the Chicano leadership of California came out of this grassroots organization. I can't say the same, or I don't know, I can't really, to, uh, to my mind, I can't think of any person that has come out of this other model, uh, which is, uh, you spend a lot more money, I think, in organizing uh, than uh, what CSO did. The other thing, too, I think it was very important. The one thing that Fred did, that Fred Ross did, is that he immediately got people involved on the civic, Action part voter registration immediately, get out the vote immediately. You know, confronting your public officials. One of the greatest things that I think uh, that I learned from Fred and that I say to people when in my organizing that I'm doing now is politicians work for you, you pay their wages. You know, they're accountable to you, they're responsible to you, and that is a lesson that people have to learn in our country if we're going to make a democracy work. So, if anything, I think that. Fred, and I'm calling it the Fred Ross model of organizing and the Cesar Chavez model is that you bring people from the grassroots and, and they take um, power, they take action and they're the ones that make things happen. And the leadership then emerges out of that.
13: We had been very active with uh, registering. Uh, oh, just, well, uh, I, I remember clearly, very, very clearly I used up two cars. I used up two cars. Of course, they were not brand new, but I used up two cars, driving back and forth. Uh, uh, I'd always take two or three people to uh, help register, and then also to help Roy Ball's campaign by putting up posters. And uh, so, and this this was working. Now, this was working uh, uh, low from about uh, about about six o'clock. Uh, 6 in the afternoon till about 2 o'clock in the morning uh, putting up signs and uh, that was exciting too because we would get stopped by policemen and uh, we would say okay we're sorry Uh, uh, we'll we'll go home, we'll we'll quit, we'll quit and we would drive a half a mile away and, and start putting more signs up.
14: Manny Gomez was a local attorney and he had a fundraiser up in his Eastern Foothills house. And the recipient of the fundraiser was Ed Roy Ball, who was running for the, Senate, for the Los Angeles City Council at the time, who eventually ran for Congress and was in Congress for 40 years, for a very, very long time. But this was one of the CSO connections. Part of the connection between Jose and the CSO was even though the CSO effort was local insofar as organizing ourselves, this was an extension to the CSO uh, effort of politicizing or involving uh, the community in political activities. I mean, you know, how much money did we we raise for Roy Ball that night? Probably $50. Uh, But it was again about the activity itself and the raising of the awareness.
2: I saw my parents get involved in things like CSO uh, as a result, initially as a result of a gang fight that went on in, in King City and between uh, white farmer sons, as it was put, and Mexicans. And uh, a, a farmer's son was killed, was knifed. Do
15: you
4: remember
2: the year? I, I think it was 73. It may have been 72, 73, Uh, and what they, the the county search department arrested one Chicano, Uh, says, you're it. Had him in jail, Uh, didn't allow his mother to come and visit him or anyone. Uh, His mother came to a friend of ours, of Chavez and his friend, and said, what can I do? Can you help me? So, Abelicio looked into it, and meanwhile, the newspapers were carrying headlines Mexican boy kills white boy type stuff. And that agitated a whole bunch of folks. Um, so, they convened a house meeting. And uh, that house meeting were about eight, ten couples uh, my uncles, aunts, my parents long-time family friends, Abelicio Chavez, other people. And they all chipped in 50 bucks immediately to get an attorney to represent uh, this person who was in jail. And uh, they did. And immediately the mother had access to visit now because he was being represented by someone. Uh, Well, the long and short of this whole thing is that no one was charged. The boy was released, no one was charged because they didn't know who did it. Without interference, without the interference of of a group of people, um, the person would have got convicted. uh, I'm convinced of that. And and that sort of kicked it off.
16: There was a case where they were trying to pin a murder charge on a young man, if I remember correctly, his last name was Perez. And it happened, there was a gang fight at King City High School, and the kids from Greenfield go to King City High. So the redneck kids from King City High invited the Mexican kids up Palone Road, which is a road that goes towards uh, Mission San Antonio. And uh, they met out there, and the kids from King City, the redneck kids, had baseball bats, chains, and everything. The Mexican kids had nothing. it happens that one of the kids had a little pocket knife. That's all it was, was a little pocket knife, maybe a two-inch blade, two, two three-inch blade. And uh, I still remember the kid's name. Uh, uh, Montalbetti. It was Montalbetti. Uh, he was from Greenfield, too. And uh, big kid, nice-looking boy. And uh, just kid just, guys coming at him with a chain or something, he just stuck that needle out there and just happened to poke him right in the heart. No kid died. And they were trying to call it murder. And so the CSO decided that uh, we we're going to try to defend him. And we got him lawyers and and stuff. And, and uh, he didn't get the murder rap. He got out of it. So, but it was one of those sad cases that nobody really wins, you know. And we, we won in the sense that at least now we we could get representation for some of these
17: kids that didn't have the money to defend themselves. This person had a, uh, it was not a restaurant, it was a bar, and on every every Sunday they used to have a, a Tardiada, you know, the music and barbecue, whatever they had there, but anyhow. So it was it was very popular, León's, so it was, so somehow this, these two uh, blacks, they decided to go to the Tardiada, <laughs> so Mr. León didn't realize, we don't allow blacks in this and this business of mine. So you guys get out of here. So he took him out, he kicked him out. So one of them was a West Street brother. Street was an attorney, voluntarily working for us, a CSO. Felix Leon was the owner of this business, a member of the CSO. But it was necessary too soon because he violated the law. That was, that was not easy. Oh, he was upset, but too bad. <laughs>
15: <laughs> when I left CSO, I don't I don't think I ever left CSO really, tell you the truth. Uh it's like like uh, divorcing my my familyers because it was a family. It was really a labor of love and I enjoyed what I was doing. I had uh, the ability to uh address the needs of a community to the agency structure and tell them what the needs were and what they should be doing and when are you going to do it? Can can we come up with a timetable uh, tomorrow, next week, next year, in the next 10 years? How much time do you need to address the problem? To study the problem? We've been studied and studied and studied. I feel like a maggot already.
18: One of the things became very imperative and recognized as dramatically important would be to get them to register to vote. And the church all cooperated and we have them, we got people, first of all, confirmed as registrars. And then uh, then they'd come and play outside of church on Sunday at all the masses, before mass and after mass. And the priest would announce at mass, be sure and register to vote. If you haven't registered, register today stop after mass and register and uh, that went in all the you know the all the churches in the East LA area were very all 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 were committed absolutely committed and uh, Sunday after Sunday and that that made a difference because that helped get the Mexican American people aware of the fact that they did have a voice and that unless they spoke publicly together by, by voting that there would be no changes
19: and that began I guess I had not eaten or something. So instead of, instead of uh, anything else that had me uncomfortable, was my, my guts were <laughs> moving all the time, making noise. So that even, uh, I guess, inhibited me a little bit more. You know, Here I am, I don't know any, anybody yet, and I'm making noises <laughs> in my stomach. And, and then with my background, I'm not being able to really excel in anything, you know, farm worker, uh, fairly humble. I've always been a humble man. I haven't changed any. And uh, <clears throat> then I started to listen to people. Hey, people are talking. And people are making sense. You know, and people are talking about regular problems, drug every day, to people who look like me, act like me, speak like me. Spanish and so on. So what is this organization all about? Then I met Mildred Serrano, Rito, uh, David Jimenez, a bunch of other people that that you know, Gil, you've known all your life, who spoke up with with no, actually without fear of being told to shut down or, or for somebody to say, hey, from the police department, you don't have the right to do that. That's, that's hard for us to understand in the beginning. That in Mexico sometimes if you just speak up too loud, you get in trouble. Even though you're not breaking any laws, but el caciquismo, you know what it is. <laughs> it, keeps you, it keeps you quiet. You can speak up, you better know exactly what you're saying, and you have to belong to the right political party. Yeah, i wasn't i wasn't even registered to vote so that that's what started me going to hey i like this organization i come
5: cso in itself was the one that brought my my mind to to uh, to what life was all about in terms of living in this united states although we are free and everything else we sometimes we lack responsibility and so it's up to us to to get ourselves involved and uh, do those things that have to be done for the country, uh, and, which is what one of the things that, uh, that we, we did with the CSO, which was a forerunner to all the rest of these organizations that, have, that I have seen come up. Uh, for example, uh, we used to have uh, citizenship. We used to have Boy Scouts. We used to have uh, all those things, and those, all those things were free. We, we did it on our own. People that were interested in the community. People that this, this were all Hispanics, incidentally, although I did have several individuals that were Anglo's and uh, were 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 inspired by what we were doing.
20: Basically, I think they were they were convincing people that if they were going to make any changes in their neighborhoods. It's just basic stuff, like voter registration uh, or even uh, stop signs, the uh, street lights. Uh, Curbs and gutters and uh, basic uh, basic services for their communities. That they were going to have to f- develop the political power and the political influence to convince the the city council or the mayor or whoever that uh, they were citizens just as well as anybody else in the in the community, and they demanded those those services. So uh, <clears throat> that's what I saw happening out of CSO. When, when I was in Santa Rosa, we um, we uh, organized a, a meeting of CSO up here. We never did form a chapter, but as a result of, I think, of that uh, uh, of knowing about CSO and so forth, we, we, we decided to form our own type of CSO, and we formed, George Ortiz and I formed the, the uh, Latin, uh, Latinos Unidos of, of Sonoma County.
21: I have some really deeply personal connections to CSO, even though I wasn't born yet when the organization was established. But I was born and raised just a few blocks from CSO headquarters in Boyle Heights. Uh, my grandparents and parents uh, all went to Malabar Elementary and Belvedere Junior High and Roosevelt High School, uh, and I followed in their footsteps. And my great uncle Gilbert, my grandfather's brother. Uh, Was one of the prime movers for the organization at key moments of its early history. And I know many of you in this room actually partied with my Uncle Gilbert Uh, and know him that way. And as luck would have it, I also had the honor and privilege uh, of working with Ed Wedwald in the Congressional Hispanic Caucus uh, for a couple of years during the Carter administration. And so, to some degree, my own history is entwined in very interesting and profound ways with yours, even across. The generations, and uh, I think that's a really important thing uh, to keep in mind today. To me, the most important thing about the CSO was not necessarily what it did to win specific political victories in specific locations in California and the Southwest. Although these were obviously crucially important, whether we were talking about Reval's first electoral victory or the long fight to win old age pensions for non-citizens, which Gilbert mentioned earlier or the recruitment, ultimately, of people like or Cesar Chavez into the CSO fold. Again, these, among many others, were all landmark achievements for the organization and provide much of the lasting legacies of an organization in its many local chapters. But what I try to teach my own students at both the undergraduate and graduate levels is that what makes the CSO so important in hindsight is much more than its individual victories, or even its longevity. What is so important to me is its reigning success over a very long period as an experiment in participatory grassroots democracy. Now, obviously, much of this was planned from the outset. After all, had it not been for Fred Ross and Solominski and the organizing techniques of the Industrial Areas Foundation, the history of the organization would probably look very different. Indeed, much of the point of the organization's founding came out of efforts to apply the IAF's community organizing and organic leadership training to Mexican-American neighborhoods and and mixed neighborhoods. But what has struck me more and more over the years was how much Fred Ross and the IAF together served as a kind of spark that simply fanned the flames of the process of democratization that was already blowing up, as we've heard today, in places like East LA and towns in the Central Valley and other places in the years after the war. And as Al pointed out this morning, all we have to do is step back and think of similar organizing efforts that were occurring in Texas and New Mexico and Arizona at the time to recognize that something like the CSO was waiting to happen at that juncture. Because Chicanos and Mexicanos coming out of the armed forces in conjunction with Chicano's and McDonald's working in the churches and in the unions for the first time, particularly with CIO affiliates like my uncle, were chopping at the bit to mobilize and empower the communities in unprecedented ways. And this is much of what the members of our panel today want to reflect. I think that what makes the achievement of CSO so stunning in hindsight is how organizations in places like L.A. and Fresno and Bakersfield and Tucson not only were able to let that spark among local people, but just how committed the organization seemed to be to carefully nurture the political fires it lit. And again, not just in the downtown community, what I've always loved about the group, uh, particularly because of my family's mixed background, was its willingness to build coalition across cultural lines, across racial lines, across classes by encouraging men and women to become leaders themselves and pull their own families, friends, and neighbors into a larger, more sustained effort to address whatever issues were were most important to local communities. As we all know now, this is much, much more complicated than it appears, and it takes immense amount of commitment, energy, patience, and in the end, faith to make it happen. A level of patience and faith I know I don't have and have always looked at wonderment at people who did. And I think this is what makes me marvel even more about the early history of the organization. But we don't want to sit around telling more stories but actually want to start a critical conversation about what worked and what did not work. What te- techniques were successful and which were not and what lessons we might take away from the CSO experience in trying to think through what we might be doing doing today to address what, in many cases, are even more pressing issues facing people in our extended communities than existed in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. So what I'm hoping for today is that our distinguished panelists will not simply recount more stories, but will actually try to stir the pot here with us to, to talk about what lessons we might apply from older forms uh, 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 of attack for in the CSO to the huge challenges we're still facing today. So for our panel on citizenship and participation, CSO advocacy and leadership development, please join me in welcoming three prominent distinguished veterans of the CSO, Arabella Martinez, Luis Cerate, and
22: Herman Gallegos Uh, I feel very privileged to be up here Um, I don't quite consider myself a veteran of the CSO because I came at the tail end almost at the demise of the CSO but I have to tell you a couple of stories one about Herman Gallegos uh, because Herman was the one who really inspired me to get involved in the CSO. Um, I was searching for something meaningful to do with my life, and someone told me about this wonderful speech that Herman was going to give, and so I went. And truly, I was inspired, and I went up to him after the speech, and I said, how can I get involved? Well, 45 years later, I'm still involved. (laughs) There were tremendous efforts in terms of not only voter registration, but in dealing with major issues, whether they were local community issues like police brutality, or if it was the INS, or all of those things, they gave us the opportunity to participate in democracy. And it gave us a sense of power. And one of the things that we learned was how to use that power. And some people are afraid of power and a lot of our folks were pray, afraid of power because when they tried to exercise it frequently they would get hurt but through CSO people learned how to exercise power
3: I'm going to speak uh, not so much of my experiences with CSO but my experiences in organizing uh, <clears throat> It started a long time ago. It started when I was a little kid. Um, a little kid that had to run home because they were throwing rocks at him. I knew how to run fast and I knew how to hide, so I was starting to le- learn leadership. <laughs> <laughs> I was fortunate enough to have worked with CSO. I became its national president a couple of times. Was there when I saw Caesar walking out the door. I have his letter resigning from CSO. Fully knowing that CSO was going somewhere and I didn't know where. I still don't know where it's at. But again, I'm a leader because, if some people think I am anyway, I was walking down the street, Market Street in San Jose, and I saw these guys beating up on this guy, and he was kind of a maybe a homeless person, and I intervened. I was going to be, a, well, I didn't like what was happening. Well, when I went to work the following Monday, I was called into the office of the Chief Probation Officer because the police had complained that I was interfering in an arrest. I didn't know they were police officers. They looked like ordinary citizens beating up on somebody. That's, I guess that's leadership training. And that's where I I got my training. I got my training also picking prunes, cutting apricots, a whole damn box of apricots, and cut them and put them on a tray for three and a half cents a box. That's the training I got. You know, I'm going to kind of ramble a little bit because I think that people have it in them to become leaders. As I said to you, I carry something around me all the time. All the experiences that I had growing up and putting up with a lot of crap, a lot of insults, And I don't want that to continue, so I am trying to do something. I'm trying to be civil. I need to ask that kid who threw the rock at me, the police officers who complained about me, the, the, the person who paid me the low wages, why are you doing this?
4: What good...
3: Does it do to say, "Ain't it awful"?
4: I started out in South Wales, East San Jose, and it was the second chapter organized in the state outside of Los Angeles. I started in March 1962, 52, and in June was elected the first president of the South of chapter. sister Chavez was first vice president. We learned how to conduct ourselves with Robert's Rules of Order. Every time J.J. would stand up, Mr. Chairman, point of order, I'd go, here it comes. And they would outgun us with their parliamentary procedure. But we learned. And we learned because we had tough taskmasters. They weren't easy on us. And I'm not saying they were mean or bad. I'm just saying it was good that we had to deal with such tough leadership because that toughened us to deal with the world out there as it is, and I'm really very grateful to Tony and Gilbert. We didn't do this ourselves. We learned from others, we learned from each other, and we learned by doing organizing, you plan, and you hold an action, and you evaluate it. Thanks to Fred, we learned a word called critique. Finally learned that means to re-examine what you did or didn't do. So we learn from each other. We learn from outsiders. We learn from other groups. And it has never been written that we have such a strong coalition of minority and civil rights groups in the state of California. has never been seen before. So when people tell you that the civil rights movement started with Rosa Parks in Montgomery, Alabama. To no, it started here in California with Tarango and the civil rights movement. Here in California, which we pushed for civil rights long before that, this was in the 50s. In 1954, I served as first vice president under Tony Rios. And the later, I went on to be national president. Caesar was executive director. And Tony was the secretary treasurer. We conducted a voter registration campaign. It was unprecedented. 160,000 new voters that year. And we did it at a cost of 25 cents. The NAACP did it for a dollar per vote. And again, that was because we ran a voluntary organization. And so we were very successful because we had volunteers, older and younger people. So, it's hard to really express how this changed our lives. All of this, all that we became, all that we did, all the successes or the other things that we went on to do scenes of the farm workers and other folks at Rappella and everybody else, we owed it to success. And people really gave a care and right? gave a damn about us. They said, we want you to succeed. And they helped us. Yeah, and they pushed us. And they chewed us out. That's what it's about. We have lost for some reason, this important value of developing new blood from the bottom. New blood from the bottom, young people, parents, educators of anything, and it doesn't just include people who have college education. We're talking about many of the people we learned for example from David Murciaga and Gil Padilla and Aurelio Ramirez and Tony Del Bono and uh, Joe Gaxiola, uh, people who were wise, Juan Boveda for example, the Rios, wise in what they were doing and they shared this with us. We learned that you didn't have to be old or young or college-educated to make an effective contribution. We did it because we all cared for each other.
23: We never got paid. We, this was volunteer work that we did. For all the people, it wasn't like I'm going to get paid. Everything, our gas, everything was, we had to stay overnight in Sacramento, we would pay. And uh, it was kind of educational to all of us. It wasn't just uh, for the pensiones, but all of us, we learned so much. Another thing there was a, a Mexican. Was caught doing this? The headlines were always Mexican. So we went, Abe Chavez and I went with him and several others, to the newspaper, and we asked them, why do you have to quote uh, nationalities? You don't do that when an Italian or other person gets into trouble. Why do you do it here? So they put a stop to that. We did, and uh, afterwards said, look, you don't have to. The name will uh, reveal, that will let them know what nationality it is. You don't have to put the headlines as a Mexican.
3: One day, uh, shortly after she got the job with the CSO, uh, they invited her to, as staff to go to an evening meeting. And the president then was Donaciano Ortega of the local CSO. I'm sitting in the corner minding my own business. He says, Senor Orozco, he says, you haven't said a thing. He says, uh, uh, you have, got, have you got any ideas about our topic? And of course I did, and I haven't stopped talking since.
23: <laughs> <laughs> that was way back we were at the time uh, there was an incident in king city and we didn't have uh, it seems like they were not doing anything and we didn't have anybody to represent us so then they started uh, uh, getting in touch uh, with the CSO that they were already they already were in los angeles area so then they sent some, um, like, Sal Alinsky and Fred Ross, and uh, they came to my house because uh, my house, I had the biggest house, and that's where we had the meetings. So then we were going to the meetings in Soledad, uh, and a lot of the people from Gonzales and from Salinas attended, and in order to, in order to that we would have some money to help out, we would uh, work like the Dickens, making tamales to have dances, and so we work hard. And, and our husbands uh, of our group were very active, then uh, getting people uh, registered to vote, because we realized that uh, we needed. Uh, We needed to be, uh, to have our people, the Latinos, wake up and realize that if they didn't uh, vote, then they couldn't get a lot of the things that were needed in Soledad and Gonzalez.
24: Tony decided to have Fred Russ in the house. Fred Russ came to the house to talk to him about uh, the Industrial Foundation. Even Nalinsky came a couple of times because he's, it was uh, the money back, I used to call it money backs here. Okay. <laughs> and and uh, because nobody got paid at CSO. That's true. That's true. And we, uh, we didn't even have enough money at the beginning to have a house, my house was the office. Okay. And, and uh, we took messages and everything.
25: And then we started having raise funds. We used to donate the stuff, work on it and buy our tickets. They passed a law in I think the mid 50s that anyone who was in the United States, who had lived here for a certain number of years, 20 years. how many? Twenty years. For 20 years and was over 50, Five. over 55, uh, could become a citizen by taking the citizenship test in Spanish. Well, CSO had a big campaign on that. What they did is. Uh, they got people to uh, volunteer as teachers. They got the DARs, the Daughter of the American of Revolution, book on citizenship and uh, rewrote it in Spanish. And instead of re- just rewriting the book, what they did is do did lesson plans in Spanish. And Grace Davis was one of the ones that participated in getting those plans prepared. In Spanish, I typed them up and mimeographed them. And it was funny because most people who were Spanish-speaking did not have uh, grammar correct, you know, or spelling. And I had had four years of high school Spanish with a very good teacher. And so I'm sitting there, the non-Hispanic, correcting all of their mistakes in grammar (laughs) and spelling. (laughs) But we got those... uh, Things out, and the classes were very good, and it and was large
21: classes of very
25: large. I remember Zambrano uh, taught his classes where I think twenty or thirty people
26: right. and uh, Caesar and I would go out and um, to different homes because he was getting he was getting people involved in c s o so he would go to the homes and interview them and there's where i learned my interviewing skills which helped me later on when um i got off of welfare and was given a job with a family service agency a counseling service and we were doing the outreach for for head start and i was going around to different homes interviewing the and getting the parents involved in head start and getting them involved you know in the school the school District and so their kids could go on, and I have a lot of successful stories, one of them is a principal what what I see the success was was for me personally was that i got uh, I got off welfare, I went to work for a private agency and 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 provided social services to the people that really needed to get out and to for us to get them involved into the system, the educational system primarily and um that, that's what I, I saw it as a great success.
11: Father Ralph Dugan, brought Caesar Chavez and Fred Ross, to the house to, um, to, to, house. to my house to try to get, to get Jim and a few other people to start registering voters, and um, that's how it started. They start having meetings at different places. A lot of the people from St. Mary's Church and that area would uh, would come and have meetings at their homes, little coffee clatches, and um they talked about registering voters.
1: And build a chapter called CSO committees or anything?
11: And that came a little bit after that, uh and then they decided to uh have an organized and they they uh Ra- Father Ralph Dugan uh let them have the hall and they started having uh the CSO meetings there. And then after that, all the registration was under the CSO.
27: There were four
28: areas that were identified. Um, The first area was family and CSO. The role of family, how family was a part of CSO. The second area was the roles that women played in CSO. What was the work? What did they do? What roles did they play? The third area was how did CSO change them as women, change them as people. And the last area was what was the leadership? What leadership roles did women play in CSO? These are four leaders from CSO, but there are other women who were leaders like Aravena when she was speaking also. So we want all of you to enter into the conversation.
27: This brings back real happy memories at our first big conference here at Silomar in 1954. Then my husband was still alive and very active in CSO. Edward Ball was our, one of our keynote speakers. And before CSO got started in Salinas, we had the meetings, the house meetings, at our home. At that time, I didn't, we didn't have any children because our daughter wasn't born until 56. So I had a lot of time to spend helping Abe do whatever he wanted me to do in CSO.
12: Through the involvement of uh, a CSO and myself, my husband and myself, I think that taught all our children. Uh, uh, Jessica, who was the oldest, she learned a lot from, from house meetings that we had at home and meetings that she attended with us. And of course, sometimes she had to babysit her, her siblings. But uh as they as we had more family, they all uh were aware of our involvement in the community and uh and their they still are. They're they're wonderful. What can I say? They're wonderful kids.
11: <laughs> How CSO has helped me uh, is that I wasn't really aware of our responsibilities as citizens of this country, and uh, what really uh, helped me, I think, is the CSO because it helped me to help others. And I was able to help the less fortunate and um,
24: that to me was a great satisfaction in my life. CSO days were still important to me in my life because That was the first big organization that I became involved, really, really helping the community. Although when we were young and we were at home, my mother was a very service person. She always made made us go help neighbors, friends, whoever needed help. And I was the one that was practically almost elected. Go help Mrs. So-and-so, go wash diapers, go help with the doctor, go help everything. The thing I didn't really, I didn't mind doing all those things, not even the diapers, but when she sent me to the jail, to, court, to, the, to the police department, I didn't like that. I said, Mom, I don't want to go. It's embarrassing I go this way. She goes, You're not going to go for you. You're going to go to help Mrs. So-and-so, the husband got in jail last night. Oh, God, I don't want to go. Or otherwise, another lady, her son is in juvenile. Go help her. They didn't speak English, so they send me. So I was used to being involved in helping community. Helping neighbors, relatives, whatever. But when I when CSO came to San Jose that Caesar started organizing, I knew he was gonna get me involved. So he goes, Rita, I need you to help me do voter registrar. We're doing registration. You become a voter a very person. I go, I don't know how to do this. He said, Yes, you know, come on, let's go. And I was expecting a baby. And I've got my CSO baby here with me today. <laughs> I was expecting her. And I go, no, no, Caesar, I don't know. He said, yes, you do, come on, let's go. So he, he takes me to the courthouse, and I got sworn in, whatever they did, I didn't remember. It was so many years ago. And I became a deputy of We worked. If anybody, you know, knew Caesar, when you were working by him, I mean, you worked. You just didn't, uh, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this and that. No, you worked day and night if possible. And that's the way I worked with him. The American Legion... Um, post. every year they would select uh, men of the year. And we would go to their functions, you know. And this year, we were going, says my husband, and everybody kept sitting, everybody kept pushing me, come on, let's go, we gotta go to, to this function, they're gonna do something, and we gotta go to the dinner. So I went to the dinner, and we were sitting there, and they were giving awards to different persons. And they came to this lady that had five kids, and she was doing a lot of work, and they kept saying it, but never in the world did I thought they were talking about me. And after they said everything about me, they go that I was selected the first woman of the year. Oh my God, I died and came back (laughs) again. I I cried and cried, the media was there, and you know, everybody. I go, oh my God. So that's one good thing that I remember a lot about CSO, that I, you know, they really, I thought I did a lot of work they selected me the Women of the Year, and that was really good. I still kept on working every day a lot. Two years later, uh, the board selected me as the first woman president of the Santa Clara County Chapter also. So I was very involved in CSO for a lot of reasons. And so was my family, and my kids were very involved in everything that we had to do. So did my husband. But every committee, I was in every committee that Santa Clara County Chapter had. Because of my dear brother, he didn't let me know, come on, let's go, let's work. So may he rest in peace. I told him his daughter.
28: I was born in 1946, so the CSO was my big sister. And uh, earlier, when my mother was being interviewed, and I realized that they kept talking about CSO as if it was out there, but it wasn't. It was so much a part of us, it was like religion, or the water sure. And I guess I wanted to try to be honest that there was nothing that enticed me to go to CSO meetings. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. And every social event, every vacation that they said they were going to have was never a vacation. It was a convention in Fresno. It was was Bakersfield. It was a picnic on the block. It was a fundraiser. There was never a vacation. And we, as children, never took vacations with our parents. So there was a a negative side to it in terms of being a child in the family. I don't know about Jessica, but for us, it was not enticing. Although, as I got older, I reflect back on meetings and my mother would point out the communists in the meeting or would say, see that person, this is what they want. Or walking picket lines and hanging out leaflets and going door to door. Or my father putting me in front of letters to write for the pension for non citizen because I had good English. So I would write with my
6: right hand and I'd write with my left hand. And then I find a different, I find different names to all these letters that were in the government room. the times were different. In those days, the concept of you have to be entertained you didn't exist. You went because you were told. I don't out, you are going to go to this Why don't we have to, you just get up and you go and be quiet. And you sit there. So we would go. But uh, again, she uh, picked up, my uh, good point is that the art of people watching was taught was, and I think that's what kept our interest. Because they would point everybody out. Look at that one's from over here. Be careful with this one. Well, this was good. This was on our side. Well, how can you try to just be quiet and watch? <laughs> yeah, so it, that, I think, was the interesting part. Because then after you go, you, you know, the good part was you had money, you got to meet at some little cafe downtown or wherever the meeting was. And then they would be brief. And then they would start giving you you know, to the sun of like gossip or whatever. But they were giving you all the rundown on who was there, why they were there, what was their interest, what did this one want, be careful with this one, this one in Indiana is going to come in. And so you learn a lot of people skills. And I think that's what kept uh, at least my interest and, and uh, my two brothers. But in those days, the, the entertainment concept didn't exist. You went there, you had to. The
27: and you knew it was for the good of everybody. So that's why you would say, all right, I'll go. But what I remember is, when they went to meetings, the Helen, Mythea Caesar's wife, would take care of us fourteen kids while they went to the meetings. Um, other meetings that we had at our house, we used to like because they would always have like refreshments. We were stuck in the bedroom. we had to go to the bedroom. You stay there because we we're gonna have a meeting, but we'd sneak out one at a time and go get a snack and come in. Okay, it's your turn now. You know, but the thing that you. Your children learn when they're involved in community service with their parents. You're teaching them, you're modeling for them how to become a community organizer. Because children learn everything from your modeling, not from what you say to them. As an early child a good educator, that's where I understood why I do what I do. And it's just a model that you're you're modeling for your children and how to become community organizers, if it's when they're infants, five years old, six years old, 13, or as young adults. As parents, we're models for our children, so that's one of the greatest ways for children to become community organizers.
29: I want to clarify uh, where the house method came from. My father learned it from farmers. He was uh, asked to come into that barrio of Casablanca and San Bernardino because the KKK was going after Negroes and Mexican-Americans and they're making the little black kids, little brown kids get in the buses and drive miles and miles away from their houses so they wouldn't contaminate the white kids. And he helped them take on the school board, take on the powers that be and he was doing it one at a time. He'd go from house to house to talk to people. And finally, one of the workers said, Mr. Ross, wouldn't it be a little bit faster if I invited some of my friends over? <laughs> so this wasn't some grand idea that he thought of and brought in. He learned it from the ground up. The CSO leaders, you taught him a lot about organizing. And you created a kind of culture that CSO had. So that service center model didn't come in from Chicago or New York or from my dad's great brain, which he had. It came from the ground up. It was natural to help people. And he not only stoked the fires of indignation and injustice, but he also was operating, as were you, on love for one another. That was the enduring principle that often gets overlooked. That power of love, that's why we fight for each other, that's why we stand up for each other, that's why we make those sacrifices and stand up and speak in front of folks like you just did, Esther, right? Another sacrifice for CSO, we were doing it for our families, right? So never forget that power of love that was part of that CSO, in which it brings, why well, the memories are so wonderful As Anna was reminding us and hearing from Jessica last night and or today. And we'll all of you here today. That's why my father loves you so deeply, and um, our family shared with you. And, uh, I think the contribution that he made, and you with him, was his father's contribution. So, thank you. <laughs>
10: We thought we'd turn this last session into an interactive session, right? We've had panels before, um, and they were all very important, all very important in laying the context, understanding the lessons learned, um, and the legacies of, of CSO. And it's been a tremendous three days. Uh, we've learned a great deal. We've been inspired, I'm, and I was delighted to hear the young, young folks are inspired by hearing the stories of the pioneers, the people, the veterans who created the post-Civil War, or the post-Civil War, that's a little, you'd really be veteranos in a post World War II civil rights movement for, for Mexican-Americans, for Chicanos and, and other Latinos and other folks, right? But one of the things I'd like to do, uh, just very quickly, because we have generations in here. In this room we have the younger generation, we have people that are kind of in between generation, and we have our elders who led the fight in so many ways. But there's this old adage of things change, but they stay the same. Going back 60 years now. If you had to identify one thing, one thing that was the motivating force or factor for you to get involved with CSO, this was the thing, the one thing that you remember motivated you and the other folks around you to get involved in CSO towards change. What would that be? So what I'd like to do that is ask one of the folks going way back to CSO, and then I want to switch over to the, some of the young folks. And you, I want you to think about today in your lives, and I'd I'd include the graduate students here who are from from three or four different universities, other young folks uh, that are participants. There's one thing today that you'd say is the issue for you, right? The issue that you'd like to see some progress or change, what would it be? Alex, what what was one thing that you can remember back then?
2: Is see the reaction of a person who felt empowered. I guess that uh, motivated me more than anything.
10: Empowerment, we've heard a lot about that. All right, let's go to, to some of the young folks here. If there's one thing, there's one thing that you can think of that motivates you um, for change in your life or in the community, what
23: would it be? Growing up in Mexico and seeing so many like um, injustices, no, injustices, so we came here for a change to make our lives better. And if I can help other people do the same,
10: I'm willing to do it. So in justice society, there's the connection, right? He's talking about empowerment, but it was empowerment for change and part of it was for justice. Um, she's talking about really the same thing. All of us who joined the CSO
4: <clears throat> came with a different set of experiences in many ways, but the common thing is the hurts and the uh, discrimination and the problems that our families faced, that we faced but left by ourselves, we wouldn't have been able to change anything, and it took the outside power of other people, like a Fred Ross Nalinsky that helped us to know how to deal with that frustration and hurt and bring about positive change and be part of that
10: change to make change happen. Coming together to change Jaime Crow, right? So that you, in 1959, when you went to that pool and confronted those people, right, there were others that would back you up. The Los Angeles Unified School District education itself was kind of like,
11: a catalyst that helped me, like, move towards, like, becoming a leader, because um, there's a lot of people, like, gangsters on the streets and stuff, and very few of us take, like, our education seriously at RLC and Belmont and stuff, and I know, like, me and Uriel and stuff, a couple of us have been trying to, like, change that. Yeah. Well, ed-
10: educational change, right? Yeah. Educational opportunity, we know that was a huge issue back then as well. Absolutely.
1: One of the First thing that I learned is to resist, to question, to protest. And when somebody was doing something, I want to know why. I want to analyze why they're doing this and why you're not doing that. I think resisting, as I still do sometimes, to teach people to resist. I made a mistake of teaching my kid to resist. Now I have a hell of a time talking to them because they... Question me everything I want to do.
10: Without resistance, you couldn't have had a movimiento, right? And with other people joining you.
28: For me, one of the things that I would like to change is the community where I live because you find drug dealers right next door to my house. And not just for myself, but I want to do it for my dad because he's done so many wonderful things for me and my brother and my sister. And I just want to change my community. I want to get him out of there. And I want him to see that There's other nice places where we can live, not just there. I want to get them out of there.
10: There was a reason we grew up in those places. One, we were poor, but we couldn't live elsewhere. They didn't allow us to live elsewhere. How many of you remember the racial restrictive covenants that went into our deeds of sale for homes that said, Mexicans not allowed, or Negroes not allowed, or Asians not allowed. There were reasons why we were segregated. And we were all, you folks were striving to break those things, right? And in 1947, the Supreme Court said, those are things that are illegal. But there are other things still keeping us separated and isolated and segregated, right? Your generation has to fight that like this generation did.
3: Again, it's not just one thing. Uh, people talk about my anger. Well, I don't think that anger is going to go away. It can't go away. Um it It's, it's what happens to me. What they made me feel less than. And it continued. Less than and... And not only did I just feel that way, I lived that way. I lived in the poorer house. And I said, they can't get away with this. I mean, they just can't get away with this. I'm going to do the best that I can. And so I did. I was a good student. You know? I worked hard. I did what I could to make myself better because I felt so inferior. And that's And that's why, and I still feel inferior, it'll never go away. It's there forever. And so I keep pecking away to someday when I die, I'll feel just a little bit better and hope that other people don't have to go through that feeling that you have yet you're not as good
10: as the other people are. But that anger motivates. And if you channel it in the right way, as all of these folks did, that's towards mobilization and change, right? Uh, and th- all of us were angry at one point, right? And it's how you channeled the anger in a productive way that could result in progress. And you, we've seen folks talk about the stories, but then some of them, you know, of course, are gonna exhibit a little more angry, anger about uh, the things that motivated them. But in the end, they came together. They came together. One of the things, just an observation. The CSO was about community. Why would they have community in the title, right? These were people that came together. They were individuals, but they came together to form bonds. They're all compañeros and compañeras that came together, and that community kept them together. That's a very important lesson for, for the young folks, too, is that they came together, they bonded, and they went forward to change things. In the year after next, I will publish the new edition of what was formerly called Chicanos in California. It's a history of Mexican-Americans in the state of California, which I published like 24 years ago. But it'll be called Latinos in California. There's going to be a very substantial section on the history of CSO and all that it did to sponsor leadership, change, advocacy of civil rights, and building community pride, all the things we've talked about. I'm also co co authoring a a new California history textbook with Bill Deverell from from, uh, USC. And there again, when we talk about the post World War II civil rights movement, very prominent will be CSO. That will be read by every California youngster for the next generation. CSO (laughs) will get its pride. All right. Now, I think, I think it would be appropriate for all of us to do one thing to thank all the CSO folks, and they'll appreciate this. Stand on your feet. We're going to do a unity clap.